section twelve of the three impostors by arthur Mackin. this librivox recording is in the public domain incident of the private bar mr dyson often meditated at odd moments over the singular tale he had listened to at the cafe de la touraine in the first place he cherished a profound conviction that the words of truth were scattered with a too niggardly and sparing hand over the agreeable history of mr smith and the black gulf canyon and secondly there was the undeniable fact of the profound agitation of the narrator and his gestures on the pavement too violent to be simulated the idea of a man going about london haunted by the fear of meeting a young man with spectacles struck dyson as supremely ridiculous he searched his memory for some precedent in romance but without success he paid visits at odd times to the little cafe hoping to find mr wilkins there and he kept a sharp watch on the great generation of the spectacled men without much doubt that he would remember the face of the individual whom he had seen dart out of the aerated bread-shop all his peregrinations and researches however seemed to lead to nothing of value and dyson needed all his warm conviction of his innate detective powers and his strong scent for mystery to sustain him in his endeavors in fact he had two affairs on hand and every day as he passed through streets crowded or deserted lurked in the obscure districts and watched at corners he was more than surprised to find that the affair of the gold coin persistently avoided him while the ingenious wilkins and the young man with spectacles whom he dreaded seemed to have vanished from the pavements he was pondering these problems one evening in a house of call in the strand and the obstinacy with which the persons he so ardently desired to meet hung back gave the modest tankard before him an additional touch of bitter as it happened he was alone in his compartment and without thinking he uttered aloud the burden of his meditations how bizarre it all is he said a man walking the pavement with the dread of a timid-looking young man with spectacles continually hovering before his eyes and there was some tremendous feeling at work i could swear to that quick as thought before he had finished the sentence a head popped round the barrier and was withdrawn again all while dyson was wondering what this could mean the door of the compartment was swung open and a smooth clean-shaven and smiling gentleman entered you will excuse me sir he said politely for intruding on your thoughts but you made a remark a minute ago i did said dyson i have been puzzling over a foolish matter and i thought aloud as you heard what i said and seemed interested perhaps you may be able to relieve my perplexity indeed i scarcely know it is an odd coincidence one has to be cautious i suppose sir that you would be glad to assist the ends of justice justice replied dyson is a term of such wide meaning that i too feel doubtful about giving an answer but this place is not altogether fit for such a discussion perhaps you would come to my rooms you are very kind my name is burton but i am sorry to say i have not a card with me do you live near here within ten minutes walk mr burton took out his watch 
and seemed to be making a rapid calculation i have a train to catch he said but after all it is a late one so if you don't mind i think i will come with you i am sure we should have a little talk together we turn up here the theatres were filling as they crossed the strand the street seemed alive with voices and dyson looked fondly about him the glittering lines of gas lamps with here and there the blinding radiance of an electric light the hansoms that flashed to and fro with ringing bells the laden buses and the eager hurrying east and west of the foot passengers made his most enchanting picture and the graceful spire of st mary le strand on the one hand and the last flush of sunset on the other were to him a cause of thanksgiving as the gorse blossom to linnaeus mr burton caught his look of fondness as they crossed the street i see you can find the picturesque in london he said to me this great town is as i see it is to you the study and the love of life yet how few there are that can pierce the veils of apparent monotony and meanness i have read in a paper which is said to have the largest circulation in the world a comparison between the aspects of london and paris a comparison which should be positively laureate as the great masterpiece of fatuous stupidity conceive if you can a human being of ordinary intelligence preferring the boulevards to our london streets imagine a man calling for the wholesale destruction of our most charming city in order that the dull uniformity of that whited sepulchre called paris should be reproduced here in london is it not positively incredible my dear sir said dyson regarding burton with a good deal of interest i agree most heartily with your opinions but i really can't share your wonder have you heard how much george eliot received for romola do you know what the circulation of uh, robert elsmere was do you read titbits regularly to me on the contrary it is constant matter both for wonder and thanksgiving that london was not boulevardized twenty years ago i praise that exquisite jagged skyline that stands up against the pale greens and fading blues and flushing clouds of sunset but i wonder even more than i praise as for st mary le strand its preservation is a miracle nothing more or less a thing of exquisite beauty versus four buses abreast really the conclusion is too obvious didn't you read the letter of the man who proposed that the whole mysterious system the immemorial plan of computing easter should be abolished off-hand because he doesn't like his son having his holidays as early as march twenty-fifth but shall we be going on they had lingered at the corner of a street on the north side of the strand enjoying the contrasts and the glamour of the scene dyson pointed the way with a gesture and they strolled up the comparatively deserted streets slanting a little to the right and thus arrived at dyson's lodging on the verge of bloomsbury mr burton took a comfortable armchair by the open window while dyson lit the candles and produced the whisky and soda and cigarettes they tell me these cigarettes are very good he said 
but i know nothing about it myself i hold at last that there is only one tobacco and that is shag i suppose i should not tempt you to try a pipeful mr burton smilingly refused the offer and picked out a cigarette from the box when he had smoked it half through he said with some hesitation it is really kind of you to have me here mr dyson the fact is that the interests at issue are far too serious to be discussed in a bar where as you found for yourself there may be listeners voluntary or involuntary on each side i think the remark i heard you make was something about the oddity of an individual going about london in deadly fear of a young man with spectacles yes that was it well would you mind confiding to me the circumstances that gave rise to the reflection not in the least it was like this and he ran over in brief outline the adventure in oxford street dwelling on the violence of mr wilkins's gestures but wholly suppressing the tale told in the cafe he told me he lived in constant terror of meeting this man and i left him when i thought he was cool enough to look after himself said dyson ending his narrative really said mr burton and you actually saw this mysterious person yes and could you describe him well he looked to me a youngish man pale and nervous he had small black side whiskers and wore rather large spectacles but this is simply marvellous you astonish me for i must tell you that my interest in the matter is this i'm not in the least in terror of meeting a dark young man with spectacles but i shrewdly suspect a person of that description would much rather not meet me and yet the account you give of the man tallies exactly a nervous glance to right and left is it not so and as you observed he wears prominent spectacles and has small black whiskers there cannot be surely two people exactly identical one a cause of terror and the other i should imagine extremely anxious to get out of the way but have you seen this man since no i have not i have been looking for him pretty keenly but of course he may have left london and england too for the matter of that hardly i think well mr dyson it is only fair that i should explain my story now that i've listened to yours i must tell you then that i am an agent for curiosities and precious things of all kinds an odd employment isn't it of course i wasn't brought up to the business i gradually fell into it i have always been fond of things queer and rare and by the time i was twenty i had made a half a dozen collections it is not generally known how often farm laborers come upon rarities you would be astonished if i told you what i have seen turned up by the plough i lived in the country in those days and i used to buy anything the men on the farms brought me and i had the queerest set of rubbish as my friends called my collection but that's how i got the scent of the business which means everything and later on it struck me that i might very well turn my knowledge to account and add to my income since those early days i have been in most quarters of the world and some very valuable things have passed through my hands and i have had to engage in difficult and delicate negotiations 
you have possibly heard of the khan opal called in the east the stone of a thousand and one colors well perhaps the conquest of that stone was my greatest achievement i call it myself the stone of the thousand and one lies for i assure you that i had to invent a cycle of folklore before the rajah who owned it would consent to sell the thing i subsidized wandering story-tellers who told tales in which the opal played a frightful part i hired a holy man a great ascetic to prophesy against the thing in the language of eastern symbolism in short i frightened the rajah out of his wits so you see there is room for diplomacy in the traffic i am engaged in i have to be ever on my guard and i have often been sensible that unless i watched every step and weighed every word my life would not last me much longer last april i became aware of the existence of a highly valuable antique gem it was in southern italy and in the possession of persons who were ignorant of its real value it has always been my experience that it is precisely the ignorant who are most difficult to deal with i have met farmers who were under the impression that a shilling of george the first was a find of almost incalculable value and all the defeats i have sustained have been at the hands of people of this description reflecting on these facts i saw that the acquisition of the gem i have mentioned would be an affair demanding the nicest diplomacy i might possibly have got it by offering a sum approaching its real value but i need not point out to you that such a proceeding would be most unbusinesslike indeed i doubt whether it would have been successful for the cupidity of such persons is aroused by a sum which seems enormous and the low cunning which serves them in place of intelligence immediately suggests that the object for which such an amount is offered must be worth at least double of course when the matter is of an ordinary curiosity an old jug a carved chest or a queer brass lantern one does not much care the cupidity of the owner defeats its object the collector laughs and goes away for he is aware that such things are by no means unique but this gem i fervently desired to possess and as i did not see my way to giving more than a hundredth part of its value i was conscious that all my let us say imaginative and diplomatic powers would have to be exerted i am sorry to say that i came to the conclusion that i could not undertake to carry the matter through single-handed and i determined to confide in my assistant a young man named william robbins whom i judged to be by no means devoid of capacity my idea was that robbins should get himself up as a low-class dealer in precious stones he could patter a little italian and would go to the town in question and manage to see the gem we were after possibly by offering some trifling articles of jewellery for sale but that i left to be decided then my work was to begin but i will not trouble you with a tale told twice over in due course then robbins went off to italy with an assortment of uncut stones and a few rings and some jewellery i bought in birmingham on purpose for his expedition a week later i followed him travelling leisurely 
so that i was a fortnight later in arriving at our common destination there was a decent hotel in town and on my inquiring of the landlord whether there were many strangers in the place he told me very few he had heard there was an englishman staying in a small tavern a peddler he said who sold beautiful trinkets very cheaply and wanted to buy old rubbish for five or six days i took life leisurely i must say i enjoyed myself it was part of my plan to make the people think i was an enormously rich man and i knew that such items as the extravagance of my meals and the price of every bottle of wine i drank would not be suffered as sancho panza puts it to rot in the landlord's breast at the end of the week i was fortunate enough to make the acquaintance of signor melini the owner of the gem i coveted at the cafe and with his ready hospitality and my geniality i was soon established as a friend of the house on my third or fourth visit i managed to make the italians talk about the english peddler who they said spoke a most detestable italian but that does not matter said the signora melini for he has beautiful things which he sells very very cheap i hope you may not find he has cheated you i said for i must tell you that english people give these fellows a very wide berth they usually make a great parade out of the cheapness of their goods which often turn out to be double the price of better articles in the shops they would not hear of this and signora melini insisted on showing me the three rings and the bracelet she had bought of the peddler she told me the price she had paid and after scrutinizing the articles carefully i had to confess that she had made a bargain and indeed robbins had sold her the things at about fifty per cent below market value i admired the trinkets as i gave them back to the lady and i hinted that the peddler must be a somewhat foolish specimen of his class two days later as i was taking my vermouth at the cafe with signor melini he led the conversation back to the peddler and mentioned casually that he had shown the man a little curiosity for which he had made rather a handsome offer my dear sir i said i hope you will be careful i told you that the travelling tradesman does not bear a very high reputation in england and notwithstanding his apparent simplicity this fellow may turn out to be an arrant cheat may i ask you what is the nature of the curiosity you have shown him he told me it was a little thing a pretty little stone with some figures cut on it people said it was old i should like to examine it i replied as it happens i have seen a good deal of these gems we have a fine collection of them in our museum at london in due course i was shown the article and i held the gem i so coveted between my fingers i looked at it coolly and put it down carelessly on the table would you mind telling me signor i said how much my fellow-countrymen offered you for this well he said my wife says the man must be mad he said he would give me twenty lira for it i looked at him quietly and took up the gem and pretended to examine it in the light more carefully i turned it over and over and finally pulled out a magnifying glass from my pocket and seemed to search every line in the cutting with minutest scrutiny my dear sir i said at last i am inclined to agree with signora melini 
if this gem were genuine it would be worth some money but as it happens to be a rather bad forgery it is not worth twenty centesimi it was sophisticated i should imagine some time in the last century and by a very unskilful hand then we had better get rid of it said melini i never thought it was worth anything myself of course i am sorry for the peddler but one must let a man know his own trade i shall tell him we will take the twenty lira excuse me i said the man wants a lesson it would be a charity to give him one tell him that you will not take anything under eighty lira and i shall be much surprised if he does not close with you at once a day or two later i heard that the english peddler had gone away after debasing the minds of the country people with birmingham art jewelry for i admit that the gold sleeve links like kidney beans the silver chains made apparently after the pattern of a dog chain and the initial brooches have always been heavy on my conscience i cannot acquit myself of having indirectly contributed to debauch the taste of a simple folk but i hope that the end i had in view may finally outbalance this heavy charge soon afterwards i paid a farewell visit at the Molinis, and the signor informed me with an oily chuckle that the plan i had suggested had been completely successful i congratulated him on his bargain and went away after expressing a wish that heaven may send many such peddlers in his path nothing of interest occurred on my return journey i had arranged that robbins was to meet me at a certain place on a certain day and i went to the appointment full of the coolest confidence the gem had been conquered and i had only to reap the fruits of victory i am sorry to shake that trust in our common human nature which i am sure you possess but i am compelled to tell you that up to the present date i have never set eyes on my man robbins or on the antique gem in his custody i have found out that he actually arrived in london for he was seen three days before my arrival in england by a pawnbroker of my acquaintance consuming his favourite beverage for ale in the tavern where we met to-night since then he has not been heard of i hope you will now pardon my curiosity as to the history and adventures of dark young men with spectacles you will i am sure feel for me in my position the savour of life has disappeared for me it is a bitter thought that i have rescued one of the most perfect and exquisite specimens of antique art from the hands of ignorant and indeed unscrupulous persons only to deliver it to the keeping of a man who is evidently utterly devoid of the very elements of commercial morality my dear sir said dyson you will allow me to compliment you on your style your adventures have interested me exceedingly but forgive me you just now used the word morality would not some persons take exception to your own methods of business i can conceive myself flaws of a moral kind being found in the very original conception you have described to me i can imagine the puritan shrinking in dismay from your scheme pronouncing it unscrupulous nay dishonest 
mr burton helped himself very frankly to more whisky your scruples entertain me he said perhaps you have not gone very deeply into these questions of ethics i have been compelled to do so myself just as i was forced to master a simple system of bookkeeping without bookkeeping and still more without a system of ethics it is impossible to conduct a business such as mine but i assure you that i am often profoundly saddened as i pass through the crowded streets and watch the world at work by the thought of how few amongst all these hurrying individuals black-hatted well-dressed educated we may presume sufficiently how few amongst them have any reasoned system of morality even you have not weighed the question although you study life and affairs and to a certain extent penetrate the veils and mask of the comedy of man even you judge by empty conventions and the false money which is allowed to pass current as sterling coin allow me to play the part of socrates i shall teach you nothing that you do not know i shall merely lay aside the wrappings of prejudice and bad logic and show you the real image which you possess in your soul come then do you allow that happiness is anything certainly said dyson and happiness is desirable or undesirable desirable of course and what shall we call the man who gives happiness is he not a philanthropist i think so and such a person is praiseworthy and the more praiseworthy in the proportion of the persons whom he makes happy by all means so that he who makes a whole nation happy is praiseworthy in the extreme and the action by which he gives happiness is the highest virtue it appears so oh burton said dyson who found something very exquisite in the character of his visitor quite so you find the several conclusions inevitable well apply them to the story i have told you i conferred happiness on myself by obtaining as i thought possession of the gem i conferred happiness on the melinis by getting them eighty lira instead of an object for which they had not the slightest value and i intended to confer happiness on the whole british nation by selling the thing to the british museum to say nothing of the happiness a profit of about nine thousand per cent would have conferred on me i assure you i regard robbins as an interferer with the cosmos and fair order of things but that is nothing you perceive that i am an apostle of the very highest morality you have been forced to yield to argument there certainly seems a great deal in what you advance said dyson i admit that i am a mere amateur of ethics while you as you say have brought the most acute scrutiny to bear on these perplexed and doubtful questions i can well understand your anxiety to meet the fallacious robins and i congratulate myself on the chance which has made us acquainted but you will pardon my seeming inhospitality i see it is half-past eleven and i think you mentioned a train a thousand thanks mr dyson i have just time i see i will look you up some evening if i may good night end of incident of the private bar